I'm finding that even this podcast, which is focuses mostly around spirituality, creative acts, and navigating both to find a purpose in life, that even I, who speak so much around trusting and surrendering, releasing expectations, or being in the world and not of the world, that I still get attached to the outcome of a particular mm, podcast or episode or threshold that I'm trying to reach. And then when I finally reach that threshold or I make that podcast, it's as if all of the energy in my sails suddenly just vanishes. And I'm in the doldrums. I'm lethargic, unenthused. And I just wonder, how where did it all go? It was there. I was moving, headstrong and fervent towards that, making that thing. And then suddenly when I have the thing, it's over. This is my experience with making the last episode with Irene Kennedy, my first episode with a guest. As much as I may have tried to avoid setting certain goals around what started as a creative experiment, a quiet voice was always meant for something to bring other voices other than my own. And so Irene was the first guest to do that, and I think she did very well. I worked hard on that episode because when you try something new, it always is requiring a lot more attention and the perfectionist and imposter syndrome has to be pushed through and or just loved as well so that you can ease into a space where you can just seamlessly create. And I got there, even, even if there was a few audio errors or pacing problems, but nothing is perfect. And as I've spoken about in previous episodes, perfection is the enemy of the done. In this episode of A Quiet Voice with me, Colin, I'm going to talk about, well, that, why I believe that feeling of hmm, forlornness or lethargy that comes after achievement is because we're orienting to the wrong things. Thank you for joining me. The reason why I felt so bleh after releasing episode 30 was because I had reached the point that I set out for at the very beginning. And without even intending, I had created an expectation around a goal, even though I was trying to remain relatively detached from, from the fruits of the action and just enjoy the action. But, you know, it's funny the way that our focus can become attached to something. I felt as if I regressed, but really what I see now is that it's not a regress as much as a reorientation. A reorientation to the wonderful sense that there was never a place, there was never any real place to go. That there was never anything really to do. Now we can sit in that space, we can sit in the emotional turbulence that comes from the despair of having to look for another bit of candy, another opportunity for achievement. 
or we can relish in the fact that it's not that our happiness and our love and the love that we receive, especially from that sacred place from which we hear the quiet voice, was never dependent upon what we did. It was never dependent upon what we achieved. Hmm. Gives us a lot of freedom. Gives us a lot of pause. when we can have the perspective that we don't need to constantly be chasing all the time. So I felt as if I owed a certain amount of responsibility to Irene to make sure that she felt comfortable and that the podcast was also something that was, you know, worthwhile for her. Um, yet at the same time, I knew that whatever was going to be said was going to be said in however way it was. And I had, relatively speaking, kind of surrendered the sense of quality. And even at the very start of A Quiet Voice, I was focusing on quantity and quality, a balance of both, so that I could reach momentum and ultimately bring it to a place where I felt comfortable and enough to invite somebody on to speak in my place or in the place of The Quiet Voice, if you like, to just give another perspective around how somebody else navigates through this labyrinth of creativity and spirituality to bring a sense of life purpose. I spoke about that labyrinthian journey of creativity and spirituality in episode three. You can go back and check that out called Lessons from the Labyrinth. And in that labyrinth, we're under the illusion that we're making forward progress when really there's only one path to go. One step at a time, we're reaching the center, and sometimes it feels that we're moving away from the center, even though we're getting closer with every step. But the turn twists us away from where we think we ought to be. Now, I know that there's a risk of running back to try to attach to the past, and that keeps us from moving forward. But what if the place that we're moving forward isn't really where we want to be at all? It's a common enough experience this lethargy after an achievement. I think of the Super Bowl, where before even the confetti has hit the ground, the reporters are out with the quarterback who threw the game-winning touchdown and wondering sometimes how it feels to win or what were you thinking when you threw that pass. Often those answers are, it feels great, and I wasn't thinking about anything. <laughs> It's just trying to uh, avoid that 300-pound uh, linebacker from, you know, tackling me. But the question that follows those is, what are you going to do next? And the white of their eyes will sometimes show as that question alone penetrates to the core dilemma that they've been running away from this whole time. Now they are in the moment that they dreamed of maybe since they were children. They went through a high school, a collegiate career, and then many years probably battling the professionalism of the NFL, and then there they are, having made it. <laughs> and you're asking me what I'm going to do next? <laughs> All they may have ever known was wondering what it would be like 
to hold that trophy, to celebrate being the best at something. And there they are. They go to Disney World, or they buy a new car, or they buy a bigger house, or they party for a few months, and then they throw a big parade in the hometown, and they get to bathe in the community that says, you know, we're all in it together, and we did it. <laughs> but it fades. It fades. And psychological studies have shown that just, <laughs> unfortunately, even 48 hours, 24 hours, after the feeling of accomplishing something, the dopamine and the endorphins and the adrenaline that come from that experience have all but left our biology. It makes you feel that if the sense of achievement was really just biology the whole time telling us that we did something, it makes you feel that you're just a witness to these biological sensations that make us feel accomplished. Whereas really there was nothing tangible about that accomplishment at all. I, th I understand that burnout is a very common cause of this feeling of lethargy after accomplishment. Where one project after another, especially in a corporate environment, just edges you closer and closer and closer to that place where you are sacrificing your energy in in the spirit of reaching a place that somebody else is defining for you. You don't even have to look at a corporate environment. You can look at university or school. I remember one student who I was at, a, I was at, I remember I was at a party of people who had graduated from uh, college in the same department economics as I, I did, but I still had two more years left. And they were, they were talking, sitting around on the floor around a, short <laughs> short uh, coffee table, sharing beers and just kind of melancholy around the sense that it was over. One of them said that he felt as if he had just been learning how to climb a ladder and he would reach out and grab the next rung, steady himself on his feet and get higher and higher and higher and higher and just train himself to not look down, or if he did look down, to focus on the, the rung and not the fall. And then he reached the top. And now there's no ladder. <laughs> he had been training this whole time to learn how to climb, and now he's without a ladder. Hmm. And like it or not, as you continue to explore this goal-oriented thinking, you find that it emerges so much in culture and that many aspects of our entertainment are designed to make us feel stimulated in a way that mimics that sense of accomplishment. Video games are extremely goal-oriented. Movies make you empathize with characters that are going through a hero's journey. Apps, fitness even, can get you into a place where you or chasing after something that you might not really want. Now, whenever, when I was really in the depths of this feeling, what you do is you go into Google and you type it in and you see what comes up. <laughs> and I, I did ask the great grand guru search engine, why do I feel sad after accomplishing something? And what you get, <laughs> 
are a bunch of articles coming from business magazines. Business magazines that give you, you know, five tips to push through or deal with the depression that comes from accomplishment. And they really orient around two themes. One of them is that you have achieved this goal and now you need to have many goals because then when you have many goals, you will be able to achieve one and then the next and then the next and then the next. So, you know, maybe the first uh, item on this article will be come up with lots of different goals. It's rather than putting all your eggs in one basket, just have multiple different baskets that you can drop into all the time, you know? And then you just create a sequence, you know, a process. Oh, we got to have a good process. A process through which you navigate yourself through these goals so that you're always riding the dopamine high from achieving one and the next. And then if you reach a goal, oh, geez, now, now you can teach other people. You can teach other people how to achieve goals. And isn't that so nice to be able to get back? Only really, the, only really do they ever explore the idea of pausing and reflecting or just taking some time to find what you really want. Not so that you can rest or really properly reflect, but so that you can get more goals, <laughs> so that you can find another thing to do. Now, I don't want to make too many rash mm, comparisons, but it, it sounds a lot like an addiction if you ask me. You know, you're, you're constantly oriented around getting the thing, even the goal being the thing, that we have to spend time getting more goals so that we can constantly ride this biological wave through achievement and never really come down from that sense. And what we get along the way is that we lose ourselves. We lose what we really want. And maybe this pausing and reflecting, that's when we're really feeling the sense that we never really had it to begin with. Climbing the corporate ladder only brings you so far and chasing after what another person is telling you to chase after only gets you so far. But even when you're self-imposing goals, as I was along this podcast or in other aspects of my life, you, it only brings you so far. I remember in one time I was unemployed um, after having a corporate job in a cubicle. And man, it was so nice to have that corporate job. You you got to wear the three-piece suit and go to different uh, interviews, you know, work your way into this uh, system that rewarded you. And then finally, there's a firm handshake and we're going to pay you this much. And you're going you're gonna to come to work at this time. And then you, you get to settle into your desk and everyone's friendly and everyone was nice. And then you start to realize that the reason why they put you at the desk near the door was not so that you could, you know, work effectively or be comfortable, but so that they could watch you make sure that you showed up on time. They could check in with you whenever they come in. You know, it's however you really want to see it, but the illusion of that corporate life was starting to just erode. And here I was trying to fight to get back into it. One application after another, one interview after another, one job offer after another that didn't really pan out. And I started to wonder, what, what was the point of me 
getting back on the treadmill that I didn't even really enjoy being on. That's when you go, for me, I go to books. I go to novels or I just fill myself with information to compensate or for the lack of understanding around why I can't get to the goal so that I can feel good around where I'm at, you know? I love the writer Hunter S. Thompson. And as controversial he is because of his rebellious attitude, he, to me, always perfectly articulated the sense of confusion within a society that didn't, he didn't really sign up to join. And being alienated from systems and governments and culture in a way that always resonated with me. And I came across a letter that he wrote to a good friend when he was 22 years old. His friend was asking, his friend Hume, was asking for advice around, you know, that question that you ask when you're 22 or well, now 30 or 40 probably, or, you know, 50, 60. <laughs> doesn't seem to ever really stop. This question of, what am I going to do with my life? What am I going to do with my life? Now, whereas before I was sharing with you these corporate solutions to deal with the feeling of goals, you know, having more goals, creating a sequence of goals, reflecting to get more goals, or becoming a mentor so you can put goals into the minds of other people, here Hunter S. Thompson doesn't, doesn't talk about goals much at all. In fact, in one of my favorite parts of this letter, he says that we, the problem is that we seek to understand the goal and not the man. We set up a goal which demands of us certain things, and we do these things, but never really spend the time to understand why we're doing these things, or whether or not we really want to do these things. He talks about the example of when you're a kid, you look at a fireman or you know, an astronaut or a sports athlete, and you love to imagine that you are one of those things, and you may even strive to be a fireman. But no matter what you're striving to, you don't just strive to be a banker or a policeman or a doctor. You strive to be yourself. You strive to understand what it is that you actually want to do. And, geez, that's something that I'm still figuring it out. And that if you have, and that as you go through this process of striving to be yourself, you are presented with choices, choices around usually predefined paths through which people usually achieve things, getting a job, maybe studying or going to school or, you know, traveling or whatever. And his point is that if you have a choice of eight paths to follow, these are predefined paths, and gosh, society and culture really love to show you the predefined paths, because often it's a package. They're selling you that you're going to, you know, know something or be something or buy something. And maybe you don't see any real purpose in any of those eight. Well then, and you have to find a ninth path. You have to find a path that is yours, and maybe even yours alone. 
And his one of the, the fourth point that he makes is that if you are deliberating around which path to choose, looking for a ninth one, and you procrastinate in this choosing, well, then inevitably that choice will be made for you by circumstance, you know. Eventually you won't have a choice. It'll be made for you. And so his point to his friend in this 22-year-old, you know, plea for introspection and patience at the same time is to focus less on goals as our perspective is shifting all the time and focus more on what kind of lifestyle you want from day to day. Because really the achievement of any goal is sort of, sort of irrelevant because as long as you're bathing in a sense of well-being, then chasing after the goal never really matters anyway. Hmm. Maybe that's it. Would, you, would we be happier if we were doing something that we liked to do without looking at where we're going to do it? And really when I find I read this letter amidst this period of unemployment and then I decided to travel, then I decided to leave the country and my whole life changed really because of this letter because it gave me permission to see that trying too hard isn't going to help you. That maybe this ninth path and really that ninth path has brought me to the to, to making this podcast, that ninth path has always come from a combination of synchronous events, serendipitous circumstances, me choosing how to respond or navigate a particular mood or emotion or situation, and then also just learning to love myself more and more and figure out how to be in service to other people. And I find that a quiet voice, that's what brings me to a ninth path. I spoke about before Julia Cameron's book, The Artist's Way, as a fantastic curriculum for rediscovering a sacred connection to creativity. One of the mantras, you can call it, or repetitions that I always found myself writing in my pages was that when I listen to the Creator, I am led. When I listen to the Creator, I am led. Now, substitute creator for whatever you want, God, a quiet voice, when I listen to myself. But certainly, <laughs> if you put put somebody else in there, when I listen to my teacher, I am led. Ooh, you know, you, it makes you shiver. You don't really want to do that. When I listen to, when I listen to my governor, I am led. When I listen to my, my, my boss, I am led. Ooh, you know, There's something about that does it doesn't really sit with me in the same way. But when I listen to a place that I know, a place that I can access, then you find that it, that that permission to do something was there all the time. And the need for accomplishment was hmm, never really going to come but any other place than culture. See, I love my, the place that I go when I feel very uncertain, lethargic, or just, just confused. So I, go, I go to nature. 
I try to go to a natural space where I can be quiet and alone. And I do that because when I am quiet, when I'm away from my phone and technology and all of the normal stimulation, you find that there's a graceful pace under which nature moves that we can easily become disconnected from, that we can easily sort of miss, you know? You see the way that the bumblebee moves from one flower to another, and he doesn't do it in a hurry, you know? His life might only last, I don't know, a week, a month, few months, I don't know how long a bumblebee lasts, lives, but he's not in any rush. Just one to the next, moseying along. Or when you see a, a bunny or a hare in a field or a pheasant in a field, they're on edge, sure. <laughs> they're on edge from that biological conditioning, but there's not really any rush, you know? What I find is that it gives me permission to take my time. And I have that permission because nothing was really looking to be achieved anyway. And that I never have to do anything to receive love. That love is something that we were born into. And it's culture that keeps us from experiencing this constantly flowing love and approval and just that we know in the form of wonderment, dazzling beauty, the feeling of the wind on a hot day or a splash of cool water on your feet or the crackle of a fire during wintertime just delights the sensation and anchors you into a place where we're all just trying to get back back to. All of the systems of culture and society that are orchestrated around goal-oriented thinking, it pulls us away from nature. It pulls us away from it. The other thing that it do does, and this could be a whole podcast, but the other thing that goal-oriented thinking does is it keeps us trapped in materialism and a sense of survival and scarcity. The goal is often to achieve something so that your life will be better, and then you get to that place where you have the thing or you've done the thing, and you find that it's just the same. Just the same. And so the scarcity becomes, it could become an object, it could become a, a, a purchase, it could, could become a monetary thing, but ultimately it's the scarcity is the fact that we don't know how to sit with ourselves in silence and, and be, and just be, and have that permission to not have something to do all the time. It's such a burden, really this mind that we have constantly pulling us into a sense of distraction. And as long as we're distracted or oriented on the things that are sort of out there, we lose touch with what's really going on. 
and the further we go, it's a, it's a house of cards. And you can see that chronic mental illness that people deal with, the burnout culture, the fact that there's drugs and alcohol and a myriad of stimuli to distract us from the sense of just the pain of being ourselves, that that's what we're running away from. Just figuring out how to be, be with us, to be with us. Because when we're so detached from nature, in that natural pace, we feel alone. We feel alone. We feel detached. So, so if you are in the position in which you are feeling overwhelmed or have achieved something and now you feel a little bit leth- lethargic or a little bit confused around what the next path is, I, 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 my recommendation is to, is to go find a tree. To go find a tree on a warm day or a day where you can be comfortable and preferably without your shoes on, you know, just just spend some time with the tree. No, no technology. You don't need to write anything, whatever. You just be there. And that's that's what I do is I, I, I have this tree that I find and and I go and I allow myself to just be drawn to it. And it, indeed, the sense of confusion is what brought me there in the first place. I might even talk to it. I might even speak to it, touch it, observe all of the colors and imperfections that are perfect in a tree and how they stand so, so strong. They're in tune with a sense of energy that gives them a resolve and integrity that that we have as well when we want to be in touch with it. The tree that I like to go to has a split in it, a crack down one of its major branches. But it's not dead, it's not broken. Even though the fibers of the wood are visible, you can see that this tree grew this big branch out, probably, you know, to the point where it cracked under its own weight. And now it rests on the ground, but it still blooms. It's still covered in leaves. And in five or ten years, that big hole, that big crack will be rejoined. The oak tree told me that the reason why I feel unworthy at having achieved something is because in my past... I have worked so hard to achieve things and then been hurt by the sense of not achieving them. Then when I get them, I'm caught between a place of unworthiness, undeservingness, almost the fear of success, we can call it, and then the sense that I'll never have it again. And rather than worry... (laughs) around where the next goal or next place is going to come where I'll feel worthy or feel a sense of accomplishment, I need to orient my senses more 
for the moment. Because being in the right moment will create the right actions, which will bring us to the right place where we meet the right people and will be led to the new goal if we want. So if our lifestyle isn't putting us in a place where we can be connected to that inner guidance, then we're lost from the start. Breathing too, so important. Don't forget to breathe. It comes rushing into you, pushing you along to the next step, the next place, the next moment. Not against your will, but, but with you in company. Just as Hunter S. Thompson closes his letter to Hume, he says, this is just my way of looking at it. And I say the same to you. This is just my way of looking at it. And when I'm in tune with that, I feel whole. I feel strong. I feel connected. I have no worries because there's nothing to worry about. I still get disconnected. I still chase after things sometimes because that's what being a human is. So I practice forgiveness at the same time when I do feel lethargic or broken or unaccomplished. That that's all part of the process too. So if you have a nice sunny day, this is your invitation to go enjoy it, to be with it. And that even if it's not a sunny day, there's always a way to connect to a deeper part, to listen rather than listen inward rather than look outward. There are podcasts you can go back to that may be of some guidance to this process, meditations in episode uh, 22, and lessons that come from the Celtic calendar early, episode 2, and then episode 20 as well, episode 21. So let me know if you find those helpful. You can always message me your thoughts on... Um, on Instagram. I'd love to hear how you're getting on. You can message me at a quiet voice podcast on Instagram or email me at a quiet voice media at gmail.com. Until the next time, whenever that is, I wish you peace and presence, patience, deep breaths.
and goodbye for now.